Hello, and welcome to Clinical Nutrition Notes, a podcast where we speak with guest experts and opinion leaders about the art and science of clinical nutrition, brought to you by Nestle Health Science Canada. This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals for education purposes. I'm your host, Bethany Hopkins, Medical Affairs Manager with Nestle Health Science. Today we'll be talking with Todd Rice, MD, about glucose management in the ICU and the evolving role of nutrition to help manage hyperglycemia and critical illness. Dr. Rice is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and Director of the Medical ICU and Intensivist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. As a physician scientist, he conducts clinical research in the ICU and will be talking to us about one of the recent nutrition studies for which he served as academic PI the Dietary Management of Glucose Variability in the ICU Trial, also known as the DIVINE Trial. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Rice. To set the stage, I'd like you to start by having you talk to us about why you believe we should be concerned about glucose management in the ICU. So over the last decade, maybe a little longer than the last decade, we've learned a number of things about kind of blood sugars and glucose management uh, in the ICU. Uh, first, we've learned that um, hyperglycemia, high blood sugars, poorly controlled blood sugars are all associated with uh, higher severity of illness. So that means that sicker patients have a harder time controlling their blood sugars. We also know from uh, a lot of non-ICU and uh, some ICU data that higher blood sugars uh, have a lot of detrimental effects on the body, uh, including making it difficult to fight infection, they increase inflammation, uh, they um, can cause uh, volume depletion with an osmotic diuresis, uh, and a number of different sort of um, both kind of biochemical and physical um, complications of illness. Um, and so uh, hyperglycemia uh, with this association with sicker patients and its kind of association with worse outcomes um, is, a, is a, um, a disease state uh, is kind of what, a nice way of describing it that we can potentially treat and potentially improve the outcomes of our patients. The other side of it is, is that uh, patients who have a hard time with controlling their blood sugars and will have high blood sugars also are more prone to get low blood sugars uh, and hypoglycemia. And they do this some on their own um, because of their critical illness. And then some of the things that we do to try and treat the hyperglycemia, like for example, give insulin, make them even more prone to have low blood sugars. Uh, and not surprising to most people in the medical field, if you get hypoglycemia and low blood sugars, sugar is the fuel for your body, for all the tissues and cells in your body, and not having enough um, sugar and having low blood sugar um, puts you at risk for things like stroke and organ damage uh, and obviously much worse outcomes, including death. Um, so kind of both low and too high blood sugars uh, are bad for you. They occur more commonly in critically ill patients and are more common in patients as they're sicker uh, in the ICU. Um, and thus, uh, you know, they're a um, key component that we're interested in. How does their variability and controlling them uh, potentially improve the outcomes of our patients? Mm -hmm. So thinking about this concept then of, you know, 
what we can do to improve blood glucose management. You were involved um, as the academic PI in the dietary management of glucose variability in the ICU trial, also known as the DIVINE trial, which was a nutrition trial that was recently completed across seven ICU sites in North America. And you've sort of alluded to this already, Dr. Rice, but can you tell us how this DIVINE trial came about? Yeah, so um, this was a collaboration with uh, seven academic medical centers in North America and um, Nestle um, to study uh, blood sugar control um, in patients and blood sugar variability uh, in critically ill patients uh, and try and both better understand the variability and try and understand um, specifically non-insulin ways that we might be able to better control um, blood sugar. And so this study was actually uh, open-label, multi-center, randomized trial um, of patients that were mechanically ventilated in ICUs. Uh, they had to be um, slightly uh, overweight or obese, so they had to have a body mass index between 26 and 45. And then the goal was to enroll patients that would, were getting enteral nutrition and would be getting enteral nutrition for up to five days or longer. So could you give us a brief overview then of the, of the results of the study? Yeah, and so what we did was we took those patients, we randomized them to a control group, which was a high-protein formula, or uh, what we called an experimental group, although the formula was not one that was specially made for this trial, but was just a very high-protein, 37% uh, whey protein, so slightly different composition of the protein, and low-carbohydrate formula. Uh, and they got randomized to one of those two formulas with the goal to see how that affected their variability of their glucose and the amount of insulin um, that they would get uh, overall. And then, as we do in all studies, although it wasn't powered to detect huge differences in clinical outcomes, we also looked at, uh, at clinical outcomes. So the study actually showed that there were 105 patients totally total randomized from the seven centers. 53 to the control high-protein formula, 52 to the intervention formula, which was still high-protein but was 37% whey instead of um, other protein um, composition and a lower-carbohydrate formula. Um, and then of those 105 patients that were randomized, we had um, really nice glucose measurements and insulin administration in 102, which are what make the main analysis. And the results actually showed that uh, the primary endpoint we were looking at was did patients have um, more time of blood sugars between 110 and 150, um, and uh, it improved the amount of time that patients spent in that sort of blood sugar range. And we didn't actually find that that was the case, um, but that was due to, to two things. One is, is that uh, patients in the intervention arm had fewer blood sugars higher than that range, um, so it did actually lower blood sugars, um, but they actually had more blood sugars lower than that range, and lower than that range was not uh, hypoglycemic, but it was actually in the normal range of 80 to 110 uh, milligrams per deciliter, um, uh, or the normal um, blood sugar range. Um, so uh, we didn't actually see a difference in that range of um, 110 to 150 or uh, 6.1 to 8.3 millimoles per liter, um, but we did see more in the 80 to 110 milligrams per deciliter or 4.4 to 6.1 millimoles per liter group and fewer in the greater than 150 millimoles per liter group or greater than 8.3. Um, 
And so overall, this experimental interventional formula that used a higher uh, percent of whey protein and lower carbohydrates resulted in um, better blood sugar control. And potentially not surprising, it actually did it uh, all in the face of getting less insulin administration. So we also monitored the amount of insulin that was given in both of the groups, and the control group got more insulin uh, than the intervention group, despite the fact, or in, in addition to the fact, that the intervention group had better blood sugars. Mm-hmm. So as you outlined, there were these improvements in blood glucose, glucose that were achieved with the trial. and the less insulin given to patients. So as we know, traditionally, insulin is used to manage blood glucose in the critical care setting. Does it matter in this setting if if glucose is achieved with nutrition or insulin? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, A question that um, I can hypothesize about, but we don't really know for sure. Insulin is a growth factor, so it has some other properties and effects in the body. Uh, Obviously, uh, nutritional support also has other effects besides blood sugar control in the body. So uh, those kind of compete to see um, which of those may have a, have more better effects in the body. But the the thing that I get really concerned about is is that um, insulin is a high risk medication, and that that means is is that it's highly prone to have severe adverse side effects. The biggest one being low blood sugar and hypoglycemia. Uh, And as the study showed, um, we actually had better blood sugar control without more hypoglycemia when we used this um, intervention um, kind of higher whey protein, lower carbohydrate formula. Um, And other studies have shown that when you try and do a similar thing with insulin, you end up with considerably more hypoglycemia and some Post-hoc analyses of those studies have shown that that hypoglycemia appears to be the cause of worse outcomes uh, in those patients. So I think, um, you know, insulin insulin works and it lowers your blood sugar, but it also puts patients at, at an incredibly high risk for having low blood sugars, and low blood sugars are something that um, can be really harmful to the patients. So you know, my my thought process on this is, is that if we can control the blood sugar with something like a different type of composition of formula, um, that that's going to ultimately result in better outcomes for our patients than using insulin because of the high risk of adverse events from uh, insulin administration. And just sort of continuing on with that, um, the different composition of the formula. So, you mentioned the formulas, high protein and, and low carbohydrate. And in your opinion, the outcomes in the trial, do you think they were related to the fewer calories and, and carbohydrate patients received? Or do you believe that there were other formula characteristics at play? Yeah, we unfortunately, because of the way the trial was designed, we don't have robust enough biomarker data to know for sure which of those is true. My um, my take on these results and my understanding of these results uh, leads me to believe that it's actually a little bit of both, um, that having uh, administration of fewer carbohydrates and a lower carbohydrate load for the patient um, helps kind of avoid some of the hyperglycemia. Um, in critically ill patients, that hyperglycemia is thought to be due to insulin um, resistance and decreased insulin sensitivity. And in those situations, Um, giving additional blood sugar or carbohydrates, um, sorry, giving additional sugar or carbohydrates um, can raise your blood sugar. So lowering the carbohydrates probably has some effect, 
but there also appears to be an effect of improving that insulin resistance um, with this higher composition of whey protein. Um, and so I think both improving the insulin resistance and giving fewer carbohydrates both result in sort of more normal homeostasis of blood sugars that we saw in this trial um, than we see in other critically ill patients. Now for the last couple of questions. So given this, where do you see research going in this area of, of using nutrition to help manage metabolic outcomes in the ICU? I think this is um, kind of a key turning point in, in nutritional research in the ICU. And what I mean by that is, is that um, traditionally up until this point, uh, we have largely been um, agnostic towards uh, specific compositions of formulas. And we use special formulas for special patients like renal formula for a patient that has renal failure or uh, maybe a liver formula for a patient with hepatic failure. Um, but largely, um, we haven't paid a lot of attention to the type and amount of protein that's given. Um, and we haven't paid a ton of attention to the amount of carbohydrates that are given. And I think those are... Um, uh, key components of nutritional formulas. And I think besides just being an energy source, I think they have effects within the body that may alter other mechanisms of homeostasis, such as the whey protein altering insulin sensitivity. And so I think um, going forward, instead of uh, research about, you know, how many calories should we give, how much protein should we give, uh, how much of the two together should we give, I think we need to be very aware and cognizant of you know, what type of protein are we giving and what type and amount of carbohydrates are we giving uh, versus lipids versus other energy sources, in addition to just the total amount of energy and, and calories and protein um, that's given. I think there's, um, I think it's very, very reasonable to uh, make an assumption that the different types of protein, the different types of energy sources have different effects in the body and may very well result in different both biomarkers, biochemical alterations, and clinical outcomes. With all of this said, considering that part of your practice is as a clinician, as an intensivist in the ICU, how has this study uh, and the work that you've done had an impact on your practice? This is, a, this is a pretty easy change to make in practice. Um, the formulas that um, sort of uh, mimic what we did in the study, high protein, high whey protein formulas, lower carbohydrate formulas are available commercially, and um, they're just as easy to administer to critically ill patients as the higher carbohydrate, higher protein formula is. Uh, so we've... Um, not with all of our patients, but with some of our patients made a move towards uh, preferentially giving them a higher whey composition formula, lower carbohydrate formula um, to um, try and improve both their blood sugars, their insulin sensitivity, and hopefully, although we don't have definitive results from this study, uh, their clinical outcomes too. So we're, we're moving. Um, uh, how we make changes in medicine is always at a glacial pace. Um, we are kind of warming that glacier and getting it to melt some so that it moves a little faster um, into doing these uh, sorts of interventions, these nutrition interventions in our critically ill patients uh, in my hospital. You know, it is, it is exciting, although you say things may not move as quickly as sometimes um, you'd like to see. But, you know, the role of ventral nutrition, it really has been evolving in the metabolic management um, and outcomes of critically ill patients. And certainly research like the DIVINE trial 
has demonstrated that there can be an impact of nutrition on real-world clinical practice, so thank you for sharing that. Now, before we sign off, I'd like to take a minute to ask you another question so our listeners can get to know you a little more. So since we've been talking about nutrition today in this podcast, can you tell us how you first became interested in the field of nutrition? Yeah, so um, good question. Kind of an interesting um, career path. Uh, I uh, trained as a uh, internal medicine you know, through residency, then did a pulmonary and critical care fellowship. Uh, and in my fellowship, um, we had you know lots of patients, and we were doing nutrition interventions in these patients. Uh, and um, being at a place that was very evidence-based, uh, we were trying to find evidence behind some of the interventions that we were doing, uh, and we're really quite disappointed in the fact that there wasn't much evidence um, in support or um, in contrast to uh, what we should be doing in, in nutrition support of critically ill. Um, and so uh, I was very curious as to uh, how nutrition support affects my patients and uh, how to optimize nutritional support and thus improve the outcomes of my patients. And it was a key area where um, it was a, a niche in the in the ICU that didn't have a ton of research at the time and was ripe for sort of um, studying it and better understanding um, the effects that nutrition support had on these critically ill patients. So with that and with guidance from a mentor who encouraged me to kind of um, tackle that that uh, I got into some critical care nutrition research, uh, got some funding for some critical care nutrition research, and sort of launched a critical care nutrition research career based off of, of that sort of curiosity and interest. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us. And on that note, Dr. Rice will conclude this podcast, and I'd like to thank you for joining us and thank all of our listeners. This concludes our episode of the Clinical Nutrition Notes podcast. To listen to more podcasts or to subscribe to Clinical Nutrition Notes, visit our website at nestlehealthscience.ca. For the Nestle Health Science podcast team, I'm Bethany Hopkins.